Wow, that was, that was marvelous and a reminder of God's grace that's always at work in our lives. He will hold us fast. So I began a series two weeks ago on faith, faith matters, what it really means to believe. We talked two weeks ago about faith and salvation. Last week, we talked about faith and works. This morning, I want to talk about faith and courage. Moses was called by God to lead Israel out of Egypt. He brought the people through the Red Sea and through the wilderness, and finally, he's on the east side of the Jordan River, just outside the Promised Land. But he was not to lead the people across the Jordan. Instead, it would be Joshua, Moses' assistant, Joshua. He'd been with Moses all those years. He had seen all the great things that God had done, but Moses was the leader. Moses was the one who stood strong in faith and courage. But now Joshua is being called to follow in the footsteps of his master. Look in Joshua chapter 1. I want to start reading in verse 5. Moses has died and God says to Joshua, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Three times God says to be strong and courageous. Joshua, summon up your faith. I will send you into the land and you will conquer the land. I will be with you through every battle. I will be with you. I will never forsake you. So be strong and have courage to go forward and do everything I've commanded you to do. To do God's will, to obey God's commandments often requires courage. You could say courage is the indispensable virtue. Without courage, all the other virtues fall away. Because there are times when speaking the truth requires that you have courage. Taking a stand to obey God when others advise otherwise, that too takes courage. To obey God requires courage. So God says to Joshua, I want you to obey everything I've told you, but I need you to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I will be with you wherever you go. You see that connection? Faith, I will be with you. I won't forsake you. Faith, leading to courage, being strong and courageous, enabling one to live, God's, uh, live out God's commandments. 
Be sure to obey all my commandments. Don't turn to the right or to the left. We see throughout the Bible the importance of courage. If you actually take that very phrase, be strong, be strong, you'll find that it is found throughout the Scriptures. It's repeated again and again because to obey God requires that we have faith and the courage that is born of faith. Sometimes that faith has to reach a pitch that we're not afraid whatever might happen. We know that God is with us. We don't know what obeying God is going to bring. There may be suffering, there may be trouble, but we know that God is with us and we will face it regardless of the price. Faith reaches almost a kind of fatalism. See, fatalism is not Christian at all. Fatalism is the belief that what will be, will be, and there's nothing you can do about it. The Bible doesn't teach fatalism. But there's a kind of faith that almost reaches that place where you say, I will obey God, never mind the consequences. Let them come. Let it be. It's in God's hands. I'm going to do God's will. In Daniel chapter 3, we read of the three young Hebrews who are working in the government of Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Every one of us have heard the stories of these three young men. Nebuchadnezzar, he, he built a gold statue and commanded that everyone in his kingdom would bow before that statue. But word reached him that these three young men refused to bow. And so he calls them before him. And he says, who are you to refuse to worship my gods or bow down before my image of gold. You will bow down. For if you don't, I will throw you into this furnace of fire and then we'll see whether your God can save you. And you remember what they said. They said, King, there's no reason for us to, to, us to talk with you about this. Our God is able to deliver us. And our God will deliver us. We believe that. But, and here's the faith fatalism, but even if he doesn't, you need to know we are not going to bow before your idol or worship your gods. Doesn't matter what happens. We're going to stand. Faith fatalism. Being strong and courageous. Doing God's will, whatever the price might be. We all face situations where we have to pay a price. Do we have faith and courage to obey even when that's the case? If you don't have that now, you're going to need it. At some time in your life, you're going to need it. And if the church doesn't have it now, we're going to need it. The church that lacks faith and courage in the days ahead will be a church that dissolves because we're going to need it. We're in a society where the pressure is going to grow greater and greater as the world seeks to force Christians away from the narrow path of Jesus Christ, to accept the broad way that leads to destruction. We need faith and courage to stand in days like this. I don't know if you've ever heard of Desmond Doss. He's a remarkable man. Maybe you've heard of him. Some people call him a hero, though he 
he denies he was anything of the kind. He was born into a devout Seventh-day Adventist home. And as a boy, he, he looked at, at a picture his dad had brought home. It was, a, it was a picture that listed the Ten Commandments. And next to each commandment was, a, was an image. Next to thou shalt not kill, it had a picture of Cain standing over Abel, who's laid sprawled out on the ground. He has a club in his hand. Desmond looked at that picture a long time, and he believed that God spoke to him and said, if you love me, you will not kill. He understood that to mean he should never kill another man, even in war. That's a conviction that many Christians have had. Other Christians view things differently. That's a, that's a large issue I'm not going to address. But surely all Christians can understand where Desmond Doss got his, his convictions and they can, we can admire him for them. Well, he was drafted during World War II. He was given conscientious objector status and his hope was that he would be a medic serving somewhere in the field, and that's exactly what he was assigned to be, a medic. He refused to carry a weapon because, again, he felt God had told him he was not to kill under any circumstances. He refused to carry a weapon. There he was in the midst of battle again and again, no weapon but tending to the troops. At first, at first he suffered... <laughs> He suffered a lot of ridicule and even threats because of his stand. They didn't like it. In fact, he had a commander who didn't like him and gave him a direct order to carry a weapon. He refused to do it. And so he tried to have him drummed out of the military for refusing a direct order, but he wasn't. He refused to carry the weapon but he was on the field. In fact, he was in the, the, the Pacific Theater. He was at Okinawa. Over time, as he served, um, the other soldiers began to have a, a, a first grudging respect for him and then a deeper respect because they saw his courage and often under fire, often near enemy lines, taking care of soldiers who had been injured. But it was at Okinawa that he became the hero that many people remember. Hacksaw Ridge was this sheer rock and on top of it a plain. And it was the, the duty of the soldiers to try to take that territory. And so they sought to scale that sheer rock and they reached the top but at that moment, unexpectedly, there was a massive counterattack and soldiers were following, falling everywhere. The commander commanded that they have an immediate retreat to try to get back down. But there was one soldier who point blank defied an explicit order and it was Desmond Doss. Because instead of retreating, he ran forward and started treating every soldier who was laid out on the ground that he could get to. 
Fire was taking place everywhere. The bullets were whizzing past him. And yet there he was, there he was with a kind of faith fatalism, just throwing caution to the wind, taking care of these soldiers. At least 75 soldiers were saved as a result of him taking that step. Eventually, they did take the, the territory, and they did take Okinawa, and of course, we know the story from there. But that extraordinary act of courage, well, it won him the Medal of Honor. Harry Truman presented him with the Medal of Honor He had many other awards, but that was the highest that he could receive. Truman himself said, I consider this a greater honor than being the president of the United States. And surely it was. Here was this man, here was this man that some would think a coward. What, you won't wear a weapon? Some would think a coward. Anything but a coward. He was a Christian man who felt God had called him to serve, and he served at great risk to himself. He, he, he was ill because of life on the field. He, he contracted tuberculosis for some 10 years, or excuse me, six years um, after he was discharged. Um, he struggled with tuber- tuberculosis. They had to take out one lung. He couldn't go back to carpentry because his arm had been shattered Just two days after he saved all those soldiers in Okinawa, uh, an explosion took place nearby and through him. He treated his injuries himself. When he got up to leave, a bullet hit him. And so he was unable to continue in carpentry, but he managed to to have a small farm or, or, or run a small farm in Alabama. He died in 2006 always denying that he was a hero, but surely a man of incredible courage. But it was a courage born of faith. You know how he saw himself? He saw himself just as a Christian trying to do God's will. But that looks to me like what the Bible talks about, be strong and of good courage. So admire that kind of person. But you know, when we talk about courage, it isn't all about this kind of martial physical courage. There's a, there's a moral courage, sometimes a very quiet courage, sometimes a courage that, that, that just manages the traumas that can come when you do the right thing and other people don't want it done. Have you heard of Ruby Bridges? There's a famous Norman Rockwell painting of her, a little African-American girl in a white outfit. She's walking by U.S. Marshals into a New Orleans elementary school to desegregate that school. Brown, the Board of Education, had been the law of the land for some time, but many schools were still segregated. The NAACP in New Orleans put out word that they were looking for families that would be willing to cross the color line, that would be willing to segregate schools, that that they would go into white schools. They knew that there would be trouble, but they put out word who would be willing to do it. Abin and Lucille Bridges talked about it. 
They were from a sharecropper family in Mississippi before they moved to New Orleans. He worked at a gas station. Lucille worked at night so she could take care of the children during the day. They heard about this and they talked about whether they as a family should take a stand and whether they were willing to put their own children at risk. Abin wasn't so sure. He was hesitant. But Lucille was determined. She wanted her daughter to have a good education and a future. And she wanted other African-American children to have a better future. So she convinced her husband and they decided that they would send Ruby, their oldest child, their six-year-old daughter, to first grade at an all-white school. You can imagine what happened. It was a traumatic thing, and there was backlash. Because as she is ushered into that school, there are crowds around screaming at her. The white students all left. There was a boycott. The white family said, we're not going there. So it turns out that for that whole year, starting in November 1960, for that whole year, she was in a class, first grade, a class by herself. The teacher was supposed to teach first grade. She quit. She wasn't going to teach an African-American. But another one Another one said, no, I will. So she taught Ruby that year. She was by herself. The white boycott eventually was broken down. A Methodist minister um, walked hand in hand with his daughter through the crowd to bring his daughter to class. And then it began to erode until until the white families came back in. But there was, like I said, there was blowback. So Abin lost his job at the, at the uh, gas station. Um, there were white customers saying, we're not coming here if that man works at the station. Uh, Ruby's paternal grandparents were, were kicked off the farm where they worked because of their connection with her. But the thing that's really remarkable was what she, as a little girl, went through. As she walked, people were screaming at her. There was one woman every day as she walked to the school who would say, I'm going to poison you. The marshals took it seriously enough that she wasn't allowed to eat anything except what she brought from her home to school. Another would hold up a doll, a little black baby, in a casket menacing her with the threat of death. There was a man named Robert Coles who was a professor at Harvard, a psychiatrist, but also, also a, a wide-ranging scholar in the humanities. He saw the reports, and, and he offered to meet with the family and meet with Ruby in order to help them through this. Out of, out of that came a book, uh, called Children of Crises. It's a classic book back in 1964, Children of Crises, um, stories of courage and fear. Courage and fear. I want to play for you a video. It's an old video. The, the production quality isn't real high, but it's a video of Robert Coles talking about 
the courage of this little girl, Ruby Bridges. Would you play that? Dawes was afraid of racial hate and street violence. They were trying to desegregate two elementary schools, and this little girl was ordered by a federal judge to go into one of them. And she was there all by herself. The whole white population had boycotted the school. No other children with her. And I happened to see this little child going into a school in New Orleans at the age of six to the first grade. I thought to myself, I would like to know that child. I'd like to know what's happening to her. One day, having now spent months getting to know Ruby and being rather puzzled at how normal and stoic and strong she was, going through this kind of living hell, 200 people waiting at 8.30 in the morning to tell her they were going to kill her. 200 people in the afternoon telling her they were going to kill her. 25 federal marshals taking her into that building. What would you expect? You'd expect that a child going through that would pretty soon start developing symptoms and be in trouble. I waited and waited and there weren't any symptoms and she kept going and learning and being the ruby that she was, a normal six-year-old black child, very poor background, parents didn't even know how to read and write. Humble people. One day, her school teacher said to me, she'd been looking out of the window, and she saw Ruby yet again coming to school. This time, she watched carefully, and she noticed that as Ruby was walking past this mob of heckling men and women, she stopped, and the teacher saw her lips moving. I said, Ruby, your teacher told me today that, uh, she saw you talking to those people on the street. She said to me, Doctor, I told her that I wasn't talking to the people. I said, well, who were you talking to, Ruby? She said, I told her I was talking to God. Why were you praying to God? She said, I was praying for the people in the street. I said, why were you doing that, Ruby? And she said, uh, well, because I wanted to pray for them. I said, you did want to pray for them? Yes, she said. I said, Ruby, why would you want to pray for those people? And then she looked at me and her eyes widened and she said, well, don't you think they need praying for? That stopped me cold. Where did she get that idea, Ruby? She said, well, my mommy and daddy have told me that and the minister told me that in church. She said, I pray for them every morning and I pray for them every afternoon when I go home. And I said, Ruby, those people are so mean to you and they're so nasty to you. You must have some other feelings toward them besides wanting to pray for them. She said, I just keep praying for them and I just hope that God will be good to them. I said, what do you say in the prayer, Ruby? I always say the same thing. What's that, Ruby? Well, I always say, please, dear God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, I'd heard that someplace before. And I heard it in that kitchen, in that extremely impoverished house, and it silenced me. I had no more questions to ask. Here is a child whom 
we learned in the 60s to, uh, to say that she came from a culturally disadvantaged and a culturally deprived home. They were illiterate, her parents, and yet they had taught her biblical truths in a way that she was to live them out. I would like to see some of us who have fancy educations bring up our children similarly. Do we? I'm not so sure we do. They hadn't read any of these books in childhood. They didn't know anything about this or that stage of moral or psychosexual development. But boy, they knew how to bring up a child in such a way that she could call upon the statements that Jesus called upon and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos. They had memorized in their minds, in church, whole passages from the Old and New Testament, and they tried to live it out. And it would be nice if some of, some of us would try to live things out, not only get an A in biblical literature, or an A in moral, moral analysis, or an A in uh, Southern history, but uh, to get the kind of A Ruby got. Wow. Here's what Ruby Bridges wrote many years later. Go where there is no path and begin the trail. When you start a new trail equipped with courage, strength, and conviction, the only thing that can stop you is you. There are lots of things that we fear in life, lots of things that, that we have to overcome, and it takes faith and the courage of faith to overcome them. Sometimes it takes courage just to show your face. There's a farmer in East Indonesia named Chandra. He's married to a woman um, named Angelina. They have a small farm in a small, small town. And when Angelina gave birth to their first child, a daughter, Chandra says he fell to his knees and wept and thanked God for this precious gift. He was distraught when shortly after he saw his little girl. Her, her hands were fused together. The fingers wouldn't separate. Her feet were like clubs. There was an indentation in her forehead. Her eyes were bulging out. Something was wrong. Something was wrong. It's au pair syndrome. There's no cure for it. It can be treated, but, but it's permanent. What happens is the bones fuse, fuse together too early in the womb. And so... With the hospital staff, he carefully wrapped his little girl in a blanket. He put gloves on her hands and socks on her feet to cover them. And Chandra brought the child to his wife. The pastor came along in order to tell her about the diagnosis, about what was wrong with their little girl. She started, Angelina started to tremble. She started to weep when she found out. 
And yet this couple, this couple, this believing couple, they named her Karunia, which in Indonesia means bounty or prize. She was, after all, their gift from heaven. And over time, their love for this little girl just grew. They saw her suffer. They saw her suffer. In her early days, she suffered pain and setbacks of various kinds. But the the hardest thing were the stares and the shunning. And even harder still, the mocking. The mocking from other children. She's deformed. She's a freak. That just cut to their heart. But God helped them. Angelina told her husband that I am growing strong with the strength of God. So Karunia goes to school and she's with the other kids. She's learning with the other kids. At first, the teachers thought she, she can't learn. She can't learn, but she, she did learn and actually is one of the better students there. But still, she faces, she faces trouble. But her father had told her, you remember your name, Nia. That's what he called her, Nia. You remember your name. You are a gift from God. She says that when the children make fun of her hands, her mother taught her to say, these are the hands Jesus gave me. Sometimes it takes courage just to show your face and hold your head up high. It takes courage to just be who you are when other people might want to tear you down. Karunia has that kind of courage. Courage takes a lot of different forms. It might be in battle. It might be when everyone's screaming, or it might just be the courage to keep following, even when you suffer, and even when you might be shunned. It takes courage. So do you want to see a picture of courage? Put that last picture of Karunia up. I love that picture. That's courage. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who will I fear? The Lord is my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we know that you have called us to faith and courage And Lord, we believe in you. We believe that you have called us, Lord, each one of us. You've created us, you've called us, and we will follow. Father, sometimes it isn't easy. Sometimes it's costly. Sometimes obeying you, you know, you know, sometimes obeying you costs us. But God, may you help us to turn neither to the right nor to the left, but to follow whatever the price may be. Courage. God, may we have courage. And may you be glorified, Lord. We know that sometimes you call us through territory we would like to avoid. 
through troubles that we would like to shun. But Lord, we know it, that we know you do it, that we might bring glory and honor to you. May we do it. May we show courage. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.